Welcome to the Equine Veterinary Education Podcasts. My name is Christian Byrne and today I'm joined by Yvonne Els. Yvonne's a large animal surgeon at Atlantic Veterinary College at the University of Prince Edward Island in Canada. Today she's going to join us to talk about her paper from EVE, Use of Negative Pressure Wound Therapy in Three Horses with Open Infected Olecranon Bursitis. That was published with some of her colleagues at the University of Montreal, and it was published in January's issue of Equine Veterinary Education this year. Uh, thanks for coming along today, Yvonne. Thank you for having me. Uh, and I'm pleased to have Yvonne with us for this. I think wound management seems to be a, a particular area of, of interest for you as well, Yvonne. So I think we're very pleased to have you uh, discuss that with us today. Yes, definitely. I, I um, enjoy talking about wounds and have written several articles on them. Perfect. So I thought we'd just kick off to start with, obviously, this is a, a fairly specific sort of area that we're discussing about with this particular paper, but certainly wounds to the elbow region are not uncommon um, for those of us in equine practice. Um, so before we get into sort of the details of that, I just wondered if you could give us a run through of your approach to acute wounds when you're dealing with those as a sort of usually a traumatic case, I guess, um, in the elbow region and how you sort of go about that. Yes, absolutely. These in the article were chronic wounds, but acute wounds are quite different. And I think I tend to approach them in a similar fashion to wounds in the other areas of the body, um, keeping in mind, you know, structures that could be affected by the wound, such as the elbow joint um, or the collateral ligament if they're on the outside of the leg. And certainly wounds that go around the inside of the leg by the elbow region, you know, can um, suck air into the subcutaneous tissues or into the mediastinum, so they require some special mm -hmm. attention. So, in general, I follow the basic principles of, you know, debridement and cleaning and closure if possible. Um, although in this area it can be very difficult, you know, there's a lot of movement and it's a very hard area to bandage. So often partial mm -hmm. closure is what's achieved. And um, and then seeing how they heal after that. And the vast majority will go on to heal very well. Yeah, okay. So all the cases in this uh, report were chronic wounds that involved the subcutaneous olecranon bursa. Uh, how, did, how did these present to you when they were coming to the point where you, you were needing to make more investigation? I guess slightly different timelines for different uh, cases, but um, what was the sort of initial findings for these uh, horses? Yeah, so these wounds were quite different in that they were very chronic, so over months to years, and were a result of the horse having repeated trauma to the back of the elbow, where they have a subcutaneous bursa, which is usually not noticeable, but if there's repeated trauma to the area, it can become inflamed, and then it gets larger, and then it's more prone to trauma. So mm -hmm. in these cases, um, these horses were investigated to make sure there wasn't a reason that they were, say, lying down excessively and, you know, traumatizing that area, so to make sure they didn't have laminitis or some reason that they were recumbent more frequently. Um, and in the three cases in the article, actually, they'd had infections and those infections had been lanced and drained. And unfortunately, that had caused the wound to open up and it had just gotten larger and the skin had retracted, resulting in a large non-healing wound in that point of the elbow region. Mm -hmm. So with these cases, when they first arrived, we investigated them for any other problems. Um, and then we investigated the wound, usually with ultrasound. We did systemic blood work and we examined their 
gait and their use of the leg to see if there was any underlying reason that needed to be addressed other than the wound. And fortunately, in these horses, it appeared to be mainly the wound and there were no deeper infections or problems to be dealt with. Okay, great. And I guess, obviously, with a lot of wounds, we kind of think about what we can do to try and make them close quicker and obviously you know trying to primarily close them ourselves is is an, one thing we often resort to for that but as you've sort of hinted at before I guess that this is quite a difficult area to do that what particular characteristics are the the thing that make that difficult? Yeah so I think the first one is uh, a lot of movement obviously every time they move or get up and lie down there's a lot of um, skin movement on the sort of the point of the elbow And I think these horses, once the area had become swollen, were very prone to repeatedly traumatizing it um, and those prevented closure. And indeed, the the chronic nature, when we tried to close them, resulted in dehiscence um, because of those factors. Okay. Uh, so how did the the surgical excision that you performed and some of the some of the figures are quite dramatic, actually, of the the initial um presentations that you had uh, how did you perform that excision uh, to remove those sort of excessive um, areas of tissue yeah so we were able to do these standing these were all uh, very amenable horses um, they weren't excessively reactive to manipulation of the area despite the wound so we gave them sedation and uh, did a inverted u block of local anesthetic around those large swollen open wounds and then tried to excise all of the sort of exuberant granulation tissue that had formed around the wound um, and that was protruding out from the surface of the skin and go deep enough that we could attempt to close some of that skin primarily, which is what we did in all the cases initially. Um, Unfortunately, it dehissed in all cases, but the skin itself was very thickened and indurated, so we removed some of that and then tried to debulk as much of the excessive tissue as possible before attempting closure. Okay, that's great. And I guess one of the novel things that we get onto now is the the use of the negative pressure wound therapy that you used in these cases. Um, so that was all obviously done after the excision. Um, can you give us a bit of background on what the principles are for why this might be a helpful thing to apply to um, to wounds? Yes. So in these cases, um, after we'd excised the excessive and infected tissue and then the closure of the skin had had failed, we were left with the thought that potentially we're going to end up back in the same place if we proceeded with um, second intention healing. And the goal of the negative pressure wound therapy is it, it applies a, a you know a negative atmospheric pressure to the wound bed, either in a continuous or an intermittent fashion. And the goal of that is that it it has several obvious factors. It removes any exudate that's there, but it also increases the blood flow and it increases the granulation tissue formation. And it does this um, by sort of working on chemoreceptors and mechanical receptors of the cells and it changes um, you know the metabolic status of the wound so instead of having an inflammatory profile it changes to an anti-inflammatory profile it increases the blood flow by increasing angiogenesis um, Mm -hmm. and it increases the granulation tissue and oddly enough even though horses are prone to excessive granulation tissue in the distal limb 
because it changes the cytokine profile to being more an anti-inflammatory and it helps the wound contract and fill in with healthy tissue, it seems to avoid that excessive granulation tissue and just help the wound close in a very healthy and normal fashion. Okay, that's great for some perspective on that. And it's it's something that's used quite commonly in other species, so humans and, and small animals, is that is that correct? Yes, yeah, so it's used very commonly in, in particularly in dogs um, and in people. There's a lot of research as well. Um, and I think, you know, dogs is sort of where we first got the ideas to use it to horses. They use it in highly traumatic and infected wounds. So they used it a lot with, um, for example, dogs that were used in Afghanistan with the army. Um, and it does help to get rid of the infection and start the healing process of these traumatic wounds on a, on a good foot. Great. And in terms of practical aspects of how this is done, um, how exactly did you apply these principles to, the, to these wounds in particular? So the sort of dressings that we're using um, and if there's you know different types of dressing that we need to know about for this sort of technology? Yes, yeah, so I do think that there's a bit of a learning curve in applying these, and I certainly think it's easier to apply them in dogs and people. Um, the principles are basically that you place foam in the wound, so to fill the wound bed, um, and there are different types of foam that can be used, but the basic principle is the wound bed is filled with foam and then covered with an occlusive dressing, and then onto that occlusive dressing um, you make some little holes and attach a suction device. And there are many different systems now available, but that suction device then applies some form of um, suction to the area, and that gives you your negative pressure. So there are systems that the suction is attached to a tubing that goes to a canister, so that's where your exudate accumulates. And then there's other systems where it just pulls it out of the wound bed to the surface. Um, and but the basic principles are foam covered with an occlusive dressing and then suction applied to that. Okay. And then your your system, you've got quite a nice figure in the paper showing that the you had the the system mounted on a, a fluid hook effectively. So it's quite a s- similar system to what we'd be familiar with, sort of for hanging fluid lines and things that you just attach that to the wither. Um, and then obviously that's quite a nice location to to anchor that then onto the into the elbow for these cases. Yes, it's a it's a very nice contained system that with the can the canister accumulates the exudate, but it also provides the suction and the pump. So it's a very self-contained unit. And there's been other people in other articles where they've attached it to a, to a surcingle. So instead of to the fluid pump, the the uh, the fluid line, the little suction pump and canister can be attached to a surcingle and walk about with the horse that way. So. Those are very easy and the horses tolerate them very well. They don't seem to cause them discomfort and they seem to wear them quite happily. The hardest thing is getting the occlusive bandage to stick on horses and that requires some careful preparation of the skin surrounding the wound. So we would clip the hair and then shave the stubble so we had a very close contact and make sure the skin was very clean and dry before applying the occlusive part of the bandage. Yeah, okay. I think anybody that's that's used those sort of occlusive dressings, even just for surgery and things, I'm sure are familiar with, sometimes they're not the, the most cooperative things to deal with. So I think that's probably a, a key step, isn't it, is, is to get that initial preparation right. 
Yes, definitely. And, and that, I think, is part of the learning curve. And the benefit of using the system that we had, which is the pump with the canister, is that you can add occlusive dressings sort of on top of each other to try and make a good seal. There was a recent study that tried to use one of the systems that does not have a canister, so it just sucks and pulls the exudate out of the wound. And that one, they were unable to get the seal um, because you can't add more occlusive dressings, you know, over top of the original one to try and get the seal. So I think at least that study in my experience would point to the fact that using a system with a tube and a canister is probably the easiest system to use in a horse. Okay, that's super. Um, in terms of the pressures and timings that you use for um, the negative pressure, so initially it was sort of a constant um, negative pressure and then that turned to sort of pulsed pressure, I guess. Um, how did you um, come to that decision and what's the sort of thoughts behind um, why that, that sort of methodology might work best? I think that's a great question because I don't think that either the amount of pressure, so the millimeters of mercury or the timing of the pressure is really worked out in horses or for that matter in dogs and people. So in the literature, you'll find a great range of pressures and ways of applying it. What we did was the minus 125 millimeters of mercury, which seemed to be fairly standard amongst the articles written for dogs. And in terms of the timings, the continuous is um, usually used at the beginning to make sure that the horse or the animal doesn't react to the system so they're accustomed to the steady pressure and it's not constantly changing. Um, but the thought is that the continuous pressure may allow the cells in the wound bed to acclimate to that pressure and so it ceases to have the same effect. So if you apply it intermittently, it continues to stimulate the cells, those mechanoreceptors and the chemoreceptors on the cells in the same fashion. Um, whereas if you apply it continuously, maybe it stops having the same effect. But that really is an area that needs to be studied. And I don't think that we actually know the correct answer at this point in time. Okay. And in terms of the how the horse deals with that, the doesn't sound like there are any sort of adverse effects from that and the horses seem to cope quite well with that sort of sensation of having the negative pressure as well. Yes, so we were concerned initially as if it would cause a small amount of discomfort or if there would be trouble at the time of the bandage changes, for example, would there be discomfort at that time? And there really wasn't and other people have subsequently found the same thing with horses and that it does not seem to cause them a lot of discomfort I do think starting with a continuous pressure is probably still useful. Um, the pump makes a tiny little bit of noise, a very soft, you know, white noise. Um, but I think it helps the horse to get accustomed to the fact it's it's there and whether the system's hanging on a surcingle or on a hook at all lets the horse acclimate to that. And also you can observe it and make sure that there's no discomfort during the application of the negative pressure. Um, but it seems that our experience and that of other people is now that they deal very well with it and don't appear to react to when the pressure comes on or when it goes off. They don't have any visible signs of reaction to that pump coming on and off. Okay, that's really interesting. In terms of your decision 
to stop using the the uh, negative pressure how did you make that assessment i guess similar to what we do for other considerations when we're changing bandages but i guess is that a, a particular factor that you were looking at for when you decided that you didn't need to perform that anymore yeah so i think the negative pressure wound therapy is designed to help the wound contract and fill in with granulation tissue it's not the effect of it is not to help epithelialization. So once that wound has filled in with healthy granulation tissue and it, it does contract down during the process as well, then that's when it's time to remove the negative pressure and allow the epithelialization of whatever wound is left to occur as you would um, during any other wound healing process. Okay. And Following the use of the negative pressure, how did you manage the wounds for these cases after that period? Well, these ones, um, because they were so high up on the back of the elbow, they weren't in an area that we could bandage. And they had contracted down and filled in so nicely that we just left them open and we did not apply any special bandages or topical treatments. Um, We just had the horses... Uh, they were actually at home at this point, and the owners just would wipe clean the surface as required um, and monitor the area. So they didn't actually require any particular care after the wound back um, system had been removed. Okay, and the, and the outcome for these cases in the end was, was good? Yes, yeah, so these, um, they weren't high athletic cases, but they all went back to pleasure riding, which was what their original use was. And they did not appear to have any restriction to their gait. So um, they didn't appear to have a reduced forward movement of that limb due to the scar tissue at the back of the elbow. Um, they basically went back to their normal life after that had occurred. Excellent. And I guess one consideration in, in terms of cost implications on one facet is how much does this cost you know, to the client and I guess secondarily in terms of from the our perspectives, is this an expensive system to instigate and um, uh, put in place for our own practices? So I think that's a very good um, question. And obviously in different countries and different areas, the cost will differ. Um, for our purposes, there is an increased upfront cost to the canister and the foam with the dressings, but the benefit is that the bandages do not need to be changed as frequently. So with an open, you know, traumatic wound, often you're changing the bandage once a day, there's lots of exudate coming out and that can add up. So the benefit of using the negative pressure wound therapy is the bandage only gets changed every three to five days or whenever the canister gets full. And so the cost in our hands was at least equal to what it would have been with regular bandage care, um, although you had sort of more on the first day, but then less on days two and three. So it seemed to be approximately equal to what we thought we would spend with regular bandaging. Okay, that's really interesting to take forward. Um, obviously, you hinted there about uh, sort of timings of bandage changes and things. 
um, and said that you you know thought that that might be a, a point where uh, the the horses might find that somewhat uncomfortable um, at that point, having the dressings and things taken off. Do you have any tips that you sort of picked up along the way with using this in terms of how to make the bandages stay up for longer? And obviously you've said about clipping and things, but did you use any distal limb bandages or anything to try and support the dressings, um, you know, to stop them peeling up from below or anything like that in these cases? Yes, I, I think that's definitely the challenge with these cases. We did use uh, stable bandages on the distal limb uh, to try and, one, prevent the edges of the occlusal dressing, at least distally, from peeling up, and two, just because the leg tends to be somewhat conical, things like to eventually slide down. So the use of stable wraps um, in these cases was very useful. And in other cases where I've used it on the distal limb, I've also placed a, a cotton and polo wrap, you know, stable bandage over top as well to protect the system and 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 lengthen the time between bandage changes. In other areas that we've used them, I've used it, for example, on a tail that was badly lacerated. Um, you can't add a bandage on top of that. And you do have to be careful with both the legs and with areas like the tail that the the suction and the occlusive bandage doesn't go 360 degrees around. Obviously, you don't want to constrict the blood supply in the leg by having a, a tight wrap 360 degrees around the circumference. Okay, that, that needs, leads on nicely to my next question about different areas that you have used it in. So obviously, the, the tail is one and obviously this fairly um, uh, helpful uh, application to the elbow. Has there been any other areas that you found it particularly helpful or in fact, to other areas where you think you found it very difficult to apply? Yes, yeah, so um, definitely on lower limb wounds. Um, I've used it on more acute wounds, um, large degloving injuries that have, you know, a, a lot of wound bed that needs to fill in quickly or that are very exudative and um, traumatized when they first occur. And those we've used in a similar fashion to the um, elbow cases described in this report. The tail was one that had an unfortunate tail wrap that was applied too tightly. And in that case, I think the negative pressure was crucial because it helped stimulate the blood supply quickly. And that was what had been cut off. And I believe it helped us prevent losing the entire tail in that case. And then I have tried it unsuccessfully. Um, most um, crucially, in one case, I tried with a horse that had a, a bursitis around the pole area, an open infected um, bursitis, what we used to call pole evil. Um, and in that case, I could not get sufficient suction and closure. And the horse did seem to be painful when the suction was applied. So we didn't use it in that case. So I do think there's a bit of trial and error, but certainly in traumatic wounds or wounds that have uh, decreased blood supply, I think it can be very useful and it might be less useful if there are particularly deep wounds such as around the withers or the pole where it's difficult to fill the wound with the foam and it's more difficult to get a good seal. There's nothing to sort of wrap around very easily in those areas. Okay, that's great. And interesting to, to hear that you've used it in acute wounds as well. Um, do you think it has any other applications to other areas um, or other wound types, um, you, even wounds potentially where there's 
consideration about using skin grafts and things if we want to try and get the a healthy granulation bed before skin grafting and things do you think that would be a, a good application for it yes definitely i have not used it for these indications but i think there's a, a few other areas where based on work in other species and some early work in horses it would be very useful so there's a couple studies um, out of germany where they've used it with large distal limb wounds that had an unhealthy granulation tissue bed and they used it to to get a nice healthy granulation tissue bed and then for skin grafts in both dogs and people there's good evidence and in horses there's a few reports um, one related to meek grafts and one related to punch grafts where it was used um, and seemed to greatly improve the graft acceptance so in those cases they use a different type of foam that um, doesn't stick, you know, to the surface of the grafts. Obviously, you don't want you to pull the grafts off when you change the foam. And um, so they used a polyvinyl alcohol white foam and a lower pressure. So sometimes 75, negative 75 millimeters of mercury instead of 125. But definitely, I think over skin grafts, is a really useful area to think about using it in horses as we have such problems with graft acceptance. The one other area which I think would be quite interesting, and there's one report in a horse, there are systems of negative pressure wound therapy that actually instill like a lavage fluid, which can contain antibiotics or antiseptics, and then sort of suck it back out again. And these have been used over infected implant procedures um, or infected structure deeper structures with success in other species and there is one report of this being used in a horse with a septic elbow um, and so they're called negative pressure wound therapy with installation and so given how difficult orthopedic infections are in horses particularly around implants that have been placed for fracture repair this is an area which i think needs further study in the future yeah definitely i think some some food for thought there um whilst we're on the subject of antimicrobials obviously that's something we'd often use in these kind of cases do you think using the the negative um pressure wound therapy would would reduce the amount of antimicrobials we'd need to be using in in wounds if they're a healing quicker uh, and maybe removing the amount of exudate that's sitting on the wound Yes, I, I think that that's a great question. And I don't think that there's actual evidence to back this up in other species as they tend to not be focused on that with, with people or dogs quite as much as we are in large animal perhaps. But certainly in my hands, if I have a negative pressure wound therapy system on a wound in a horse, I tend not to have antibiotics because it seems to be very effective at keeping infection out of deeper structures. You know, it's constantly removing the exudate and drawing things to the surface. And so I think it has great potential to reduce antibiotic usage in some of these cases as well. Okay, that's a really good insight into that. Um, and I guess just to round things off, is there any particular studies that you think you would like to see sort of the next the next things you'd like to see done in relation to negative pressure wound therapy in horses what do you think the, the key questions really are for us at this point well i think obviously it would be there's a lot of information we don't know so i think studies are still needed on how much pressure and the whether it's intermittent or continuous and 
indeed, I think, you know, sort of a, a cost comparison using it in acute wounds would be very useful. I think all of that basic stuff still needs to be done in horses. However, I think it does get exciting to me, I think, probably because I'm slightly biased as a surgeon, but in other species, they use negative pressure wound therapy over incisions that are at risk. So, for example, with hip transplants or arthrodeses in dogs, things where infection would be quite disastrous if it occurred, the negative pressure wound therapy can actually be placed over the incision immediately post-op and seems to result in a better outcome. So decreased rates of infection and decreased rates of pain and better healing. So that's an area that nobody has really looked into in horses, but certainly could be advantageous for us. I think that's a really good place to to round things off. So I definitely agree. I think it's going to be an area where we're going to see more and more work and definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, so thank you very much for, for discussing that with us and, and highlighting those points, Yvonne. That's no problem. It was my pleasure. It's certainly something I think can be very useful and, and helpful in horses, particularly when our species has a little bit of problems with wound healing, particularly in the distal limb. Things like this can really help to speed the process along and and make the outcome better for all concerned. So thank you. And thank you everybody else for listening in today. Thank you for listening to this Equine Veterinary Education podcast. More on the subjects discussed in this podcast can be found online at wileyonlinelibrary.com forward slash journal forward slash e.